for people who can't understand Thai. <laughs> this is the last day uh, in the uh, to uh, under these special conditions where our we're keeping the eight precepts and uh, making determination to practice pavana. Uh, they have the sila, developed sila, samadhi, and panya. The dana, sila, pavana. When is the the uh, way of the machima patipata or the middle way? So uh, for the Thai and Cambodian people, the dana uh, development of dana is very much highly evolved, very generous, culturally attuned to this value of the dana. And sila is, this means we have to uh, take responsibility for our action or how we live. And so keeping sila is, a, is also a very kind of, is a practice in which we, we, we're saying I'm now responsible for what I do, what I say, according to the five precepts as a guideline. This is a development of wisdom, developing wisdom in regards to action and speech. Dana is a generosity, being unselfish, sharing what you have with others, uh, giving, not just thinking of yourself and hoarding up things, but developing a, a, a good heart to share and give uh, is the is basis for, for everything. And then sila, taking responsibility for action and speech, and pavana is developing the right attitude, the right understanding. So this retreat, the emphasis has been on pavana, practice, putting into practice the Buddhist teachings. So we're we're not just saying we're Buddhists, and, uh, but not, not practicing, not, not really doing it. So, I encourage you all to, to uh, develop this practice, because what, what you've had here at Amravati is, uh, many of you have been meditating for many years, some of you are just beginning, but it's um, this is a special situation where where everything is is uh, say helpful towards say developing samadhi or concentrating the mind because uh, like the silent not speaking and not having to do things not having not being at your home not being with your family. Uh, uh, fitting into the, the schedule of the retreat, and the food is cooked by the, 
by other people. We don't have to. We don't have to plan menus or cook food or keep busy doing a lot of things. So, so the, this is a special uh, situation for pavana. Then the the samatha practices of just learning to calm down, concentrate the mind, fix the mind on something like the breath, putting your attention, sustaining, holding attention on the breath, inhalation, exhalation, uh, something that the mind is on the worldly minds usually used to thinking and wandering. So we, we start thinking, then the mind wanders off into other thoughts. And that with samatha, you're, you're not thinking, you're not trying to think or logically, think logically or, or uh, in sequence of thoughts, but to focus and sustain, hold your attention on one thing, on one object, such as the breath. So it's a way of training yourself to stop wandering in thought, just thinking about everything. And then because the breath is an is a natural condition, then if we if we really concentrate and relax and rest with and concentrate on the breathing, then we begin to, the mental state becomes tranquil. You feel tranquil, peaceful, because you're not thinking uh, all kinds of thoughts uh, that upset you or stimulate, excite, depress, fascinate, interest. Uh, when you think, then you're always getting caught up with, you know, with liking, disliking, worrying, uh, feeling interested, feeling excited, feeling averse by our thoughts. But with the breath, when you're just fixed on the breath, it, it you your your aramana, your arom will be tranquil, tranquility, because there's nothing exciting, or depressing, or interesting about the breath. It's just what it is. Inhalation like this, exhalation like this. It's not interesting. That's why it doesn't hold your attention. You have to pay attention. Interesting things hold, if something's interesting, you, it holds your attention because the object is exciting and interesting, so you're kind of fascinated and concentrating on something interesting is easy. But concentrating on something that isn't, like the breath, it takes a diff- an, an effort. We apply ourselves, sustaining, holding, it's much more calm, balanced effort than just depending on having interesting things to think about or to do. So you're, you're training yourself in a much more kind of subtle way than you do, say, if you're just seeking excitement, happiness, pleasure. You're developing a, that, that state of, of aware, that awakeness to to be able to stay awake, to hold, to stay with the breath through the inhalation, 
than the exhalation. And even though it seems easy, uh, in explanation, in actual practice, it's quite difficult because we're not used to it. We're used to thinking. Then bringing attention to the body, like the posture, the sitting, the four postures, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, four ordinary basic postures of the body. Uh, we contemplate, and usually we don't contemplate them. We, we just, you know, we're standing, thinking about something, walking, thinking about something, sitting, you know, sit down to eat, read a book, watch television, talk to somebody, but not aware of sitting as just sitting, or standing as just standing, walking as just walking, lying down as just lying down. So in, in foundation for practices, bringing attention to the body, getting to to just let the body be, the, the sitting, and uh, not to you know, not get caught up with thinking and and controlling the body, but that through through concentrating on your body by bringing it into your consciousness, your body will begin to find uh, a relaxed way of a relaxed posture in those four postures. Because you're not trying to control your body, make it do what you want. You're, you're being mindful of it, where the body has its own natural wisdom to know what is best for it. If you, if you just give it a chance, rather than you trying to make it do what you want, what you think is good posture, that's what we do. We think, I know what's good posture, and then we try to make ourselves sit like that. And then, and we get all kinds of tensions and stress in the body. The mindfulness of the posture is beginning to just open yourself to the body as it's sitting, standing, walking, or lying down, in which it finds its own. It has its own. Uh, it knows what's best for it in these four postures, where you begin to feel a sense of relaxation, of the body not being too tense, not being tense, not being too slack. Then they, these are just learning to trust in the natural way of things, the Dhamma, the, the truth of the way it is. Then in uh, contemplating they with vipassana meditation, insight meditation, samatha is tranquility, and then vipassana is looking into investigation, uh, looking into the nature of things. So with uh, vipassana, we we looking we're examining the way it is in terms of 
not according to quality of anything, whether it's good, bad, pleasant or painful, but uh, noticing that, that, that all conditions are impermanent. Now usually we use our discriminative mind to, to compare this is better than that, this is bigger, this is smaller, this is a man, this is a woman, uh, we discriminate, which is, uh, and we we like this and don't like that. But in vipassana, we're not we're not like and dislike of conditions that arise and cease. We're seeing the impermanence of conditions: pleasure, pain, praise and blame, happiness, suffering. All these. Uh, conditions, worldly conditions are, well, no matter what their quality is, uh, is uh, they're impermanent, they're anicca, uh, they're unsatisfactory, they're dukkha and anatta, they're not what we really are. Now the ignorant human being usually identifies with the conditions, the body, I am the body. So the body is is male or female, and then I am a man or I am a woman. We identify with the conditioning of the mind. So, as I was born in the United States. So, the conditioning of the mind, when I was born, I'm sure I didn't think, I, I wasn't thinking that I am an American when I was born. But as uh, my as I grew up, this became conditioned into me. It was instilled into me after I was born. It's not, it's not natural state. It's just a, it's a cultural attitude. I think I am Cambodian. I am Thai. I am. This and that is. These are conditioned into the mind. These are not. This is not dhamma, in the sense of being true in itself. It's merely a, merely conventional. So we, we're noticing these, these, these are the things that we suffer from the most. Whether, uh, you know, we, if people uh, have race prejudices, ethnic prejudices, they look down on others, they think they're better than other people, they, uh, men and women have various views about each other, Europeans, Asians, Africans, Different groups of Europeans have all kinds of biases against each other. The English, the Germans, the French. And they fight, they have war. You read the history of Europe. It's a continuous history of war. The French against the English. The English against the Germans. The Germans against the Russians. <laughs> all about Conditions of the mind, not about anything real or true, but about just defilement, kilesis, ignorance, stupidity. That wars, wars are about, come from all that, about, it comes from stupidity. <clears throat> so, so in uh, Dhamma, we're looking, we're, we're beyond the conditioning of the mind, you're not, but we, that which is aware, the mindfulness, the sati and panya, 
that's aware of these conditions is our refuge. So before you become Thai or Cambodian or English, that which is aware is your refuge, not not being taken refuge in being Thai or Cambodian, but in mindfulness wisdom, which is universal. It's not mine as if you don't have it, or it's my refuge and not yours. It's, it's say, where we, the differences are no longer what we're clinging to. We're not clinging to being a man or woman, being European or Asian, being Thai or Cambodian. These, these are not what we hold to anymore. We see them as conventions only. They're dhammas when we see them as anicca, as what arises, ceases. So when you all came the first night on Friday night, you took the three refuges in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. This is, this is all of us are the same refuge. No matter what class, race, nationality, age, gender, whatever it is, is not, well, the refuge is the, is, is the same refuge, is not, not, not any different. Where, and then we can see the differences, our own views, opinions, identities, loves and hates that we create in the mind around being a man or woman, being English or Thai or Cambodian, being uh, young or old. Being, uh, being the person, personalities that we have, how we like this person, don't like that one. But that which is aware is, uh, is, uh, isn't personal. It's not mine. It's, it's, an, it's natural, it's Dhamma. So I contemplate this in early years of my life when I when I medit when I started meditating as a monk in Thailand. I, I thought, what? Well, all the identities, well, who I think I am, and all my my cultural conditioning, I began to see as really conditions of the mind. And then I began to understand anatta, not self. That all these selves that we, we think we are, attachments and sense of our self, our arrogance, our fears, our jealousies, our um, prejudices, our dependencies, and so forth. Are what, what we identify with. When we break that identification, then we we begin to realize refuge in Dhamma or truth rather than in uh, my views and my opinions, fears and desires. The Buddha's teaching, as essential teaching, the basic teaching of that his first sermon is on the Four Noble Truths. And this, this is a very profound teaching it was his first sermon after enlightenment. 
And yet this is a perfect teaching. If, you, if, you, if all you ever learn are the Four Noble Truths and then practice using the Four Noble Truths, that's all you really need. It's a, it in itself is a perfect teaching. You, you can't, if you, you know, all the tripitika, the tripitok, is, uh, you don't have to know all that. If you just practice with the Four Noble Truths and, and uh, put it into, you know, so you, you see it in your, in your mind rather than just grasp the ideas of it. Mung Po Cha, he was, he was, this was his uh, emphasis when I came to Wat Ba Pong 30 years ago and he, he said uh, he didn't want me to even read books. He knew I was a, I was a obsessed reader. I was, I was, uh, I'd read so many books and he just says, uh, don't read anything, just practice. And I was kind of relieved in a way because I, I'd been reading so much over so many years, I was just confused, just totally confused by all that I'd read. And so he said, just stop reading and, and be mindful using the Four Noble Truths. So in terms of there is suffering, there is dukkha, the First Noble Truths. Just take that. So I, in a Wat Ba Pong, I had uh, at first, you know, as a foreigner, couldn't speak Thai, uh, wasn't used to the food, was, was, uh, oftentimes didn't understand what was happening, felt uh, lonely, uh, felt uh, insecure, a lot of insecurity, uncertainty. Uh, all kinds of mental states would come up of suffering that I'd create around my life in the monastery. So then Lung Po Cha would say, well, uh, what is the suffering? Say, what is, what is the suffering in the First Noble Truth? So the worldly mind, my worldly mind says, it's suffering because I'm, I'm lonely, I'm suffering because I I don't like the food, I'm suffering because the weather's too hot, I'm suffering because I don't understand the language, I'm suffering, uh, all kind of, I'm, thinking I'm suffering because of all this. That's how the worldly mind thinks. And then, then you say, no, no, that's not, that's not it. That's not the first noble truth. You haven't got it. <laughs> So then I com- contemplate further and kind of contemplate and I re- begin to, to see, you know, that as far as uh, the, uh, the weather, hot weather, uh, the food, the, the uh, monastery itself, the people, uh, not knowing the language, uh, and all that, that I would create suffering around these things. Where before I thought, these things make me suffer, then I began to see it wasn't that. I was 
making myself suffer around about all these things. And that was a big insight, that was an insight into the first noble truth. That, uh, that uh, I, was, I was the one who created suffering around the food. I was the one that created suffering around the hot weather. I was the one that created suffering about being a foreigner. I was the one that created suffering about not knowing Thai language. And he said, then Lung Pao Chao said, that's, that's, now you're seeing the first noble truth, you're understanding dukkha. Then, uh, second noble truth, the causes of suffering are attachment to desires. So they have, in the second noble truth, they list three, three desire, three, all desires fit into three categories. Uh, Gama Dhanha, which is sense desire. So, you know, what you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, all this, and you, and you, you desire something, you see something beautiful, you, you desire it. And so then you, you create these desires around pleasant sounds, about good tastes and, and pleasant bodily sensations and so forth, so that the desire for them, once you experience pleasure through the senses and you desire to have more desires, like you want, once you know the pleasure of something, then you want more of it. Like in example, if you have uh, some some really good uh, food, like there's some of these uh, things that uh, people have where you like um, salted nuts or something like that, where you take one, and you then then you you like the it's such a pleasurable taste that pretty soon you're just you, you've consumed a whole lot <laughs> because uh, the, you remember the pleasure of that taste, and then then it just creates this desire to just keep keep feeding that gama dhanha. <clears throat> then pawadhanha is is uh, becoming desire to become something like ambition, wanting to become. Uh, rich, uh, important, wanting to become uh, liked by others, wanting to have power, wanting to to become something. You, you, I'm not good enough now. I've got to become something better. This is Pawadhanha is is uh, always. We're not. We're not content. We're not. We're not content with the way things are, we're always thinking, I've got to be better than this, I've got to get something that I don't have yet, I've got to become something that I'm not yet. So Bhavadhanha is, uh, is uh, we're never satisfied with anything, we're always trying to, to get something, become something else. So that's a mental kind of thing, it's not just like eating sweets or something, it's just it's, a, it's just a habit, which is always, even no matter, 
you you become you you have all the money in the world and you're the most powerful person in the whole world you still want to become something else it just becomes you become stuck in that rut even if you get everything that you desire it will not be enough for you because you're stuck in the habit of bawadanha That's why, you know, becoming wealthy and wealthy people are never content with being wealthy. No matter how much they have, they want more. <laughs> One man, you know, has, what, five billion pounds or something? And they asked him, why do you want more? And I just, you know, I just said, this five billion pounds isn't enough. <laughs> For desire, it's not enough to satisfy desire. And so then, Vipavadanha, uh, desire to get rid of, to annihilate, to destroy, to die, to, uh, to run away from things. So we have desire to get rid of say, bad thoughts, desire to get rid of pain, desire to get rid of of uh, what we don't like and around us or inside us or whatever. And that when we don't like something and but we want to get we have a desire to get rid of it, to get away from it. So these three kinds of desires are to be once you see them and understand them, you relinquish them, you let go of desire. But before you can let go of desire, you've got to know what desire is. You've got to study, examine, so that these three categories, because some of them are quite subtle, like Vipavadanha can be very subtle. Desire to get rid of something can be very, like pain in your body, desire to get rid of it. Seems like a sensible desire, you know. But as long as we're operating from desire, then we you know, we still, we're still blinded by that desire. So this is why you need to understand and know desire as desire in these three, in its three aspects. Sensual desire, desire to become, desire to get... <clears throat> and through seeing desire as desire, knowing desire, through satipanya, mindfulness wisdom, then you you have the insight into letting go. It's letting go of desire, like letting go of a fire. Once you know fire hurts, you don't grasp it. Like you see, you see fire can be quite beautiful, you know, so you grasp it, then it burns you and you let go. I don't have to say let go of that fire, do I? It's <laughs> Once you realize the pain of grasping it, you know, just letting go isn't a matter of, of uh, somebody telling you, but in just seeing that, that when you grasp fire, it hurts. You don't grasp fire. You, you let go of the fire you're grasping. So dunha, desires like fire that we're always grasping, always burning ourselves, always hurting ourselves with this dunha upatan,
and then we think it's because of some somebody else's fault. <laughs> but it's we're we're the ones that are grasping the desires, not in the. You can't blame it on anybody because we're the ones that are doing it. So when you contemplate this, then you have the insight into letting go. Letting go of desire, the causes of suffering. Grasping desire is the cause of suffering. Then the the um, Uh, just in the monastic life, just uh, observing and say how much suffering I create through grasping my desires. Then, the, then the, there's only by contemplating, really seeing that, then then letting go is a, something that one naturally inclines to. insight into non letting go. And then the third noble truth is realization of the end of suffering. Suffering dukkha ends. When you let go of the causes, then suffering ceases. So the third noble truth, Niroda Satcha, is truth of cessation, is is uh, realizing the peace that comes from non attachment not attaching to the fire. We can look at the fire, we can use fire, we can warm ourselves by the fire, we don't have to touch it. We can use fire to cook food, to make tea, uh, to read books, to see, use fire for light, but we don't grasp it. So like the body, this body, not that we're we, we kill the body because it's fire, because the body is fire, not to commit suicide, that's not the answer, but not attached to it. So that the body then is, isn't, isn't, we're not burning ourselves from grasping the body, the feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness. But we still live with it as long as this body's alive. We we live with it. We we learn to respect it and learn how to to use it and uh, how to uh, coexist with it without grasping it. That's like the sila. Then the sila becomes a very natural, rather than precepts that you take uh, from a monk. You, and it's a natural wisdom of learning to live within the limitations of a human body in regards to action and speech. So you aren't burning yourself all the time. When, you, when there's no sila, we're always burning ourselves, hurting ourselves from our actions and what we say. We're always causing confusion or pain or dukkha of some sort. <clears throat> then letting go of all the emotional habits we have and not attaching to them to all the emotional 
habits that arise and cease. Then we begin to experience samadhi, real samasamadhi, or where the, the, the emotional uh, quality is one of upeka or equanimity. We're not going up and down all over the place emotionally anymore. Because we, we, we know the emotions, we're not attached to them anymore. Where when, we're, when we don't know that, then we're always, we're high and low, up and down all over the place with our emotions. Mm. Like somebody prays, you say, you're wonderful, and you, you get high. And then somebody comes along and says, you're horrible, and you get depressed. Because you're a slave to your emotions, whatever, whatever you're a victim of life. Whatever happens is you 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 go up and down with it. You, know? you win the lottery. You're high, elated, and then you lose. Somebody steals all the lottery money, and then you you want to kill yourself. So you're dependent, aren't you, on whether you all these, these various things, emotionally. You're a victim of life, because if, if, if people don't make you feel good and support all your positive emotions and that, then you just get depressed. So, so when life, sometimes life gets very depressing, you know, you, people you love die, you lose your money, uh, you have you have some kind of painful illness. Uh, you're getting old. Uh, you're on the dole. Um, the the neighbors next door are rude and unfriendly. And sometimes all these things come at once, and, and then we just feel oh, life is terrible. We get we we're victims of fate. Where if we're if we if we're equanimous, then we can bear with the the miserable side of life. We can we not we don't get depressed by the by the misery that we might be experiencing from outside. And we don't get high either when we when everything's going well. We don't jump for joy and get excited and over the top about winning the lottery. Uh, being loved and appreciated, getting a new car, uh, getting everything you want, and everything going, and having good health, and so forth, you, you, you have equanimity around the ups and downs of emotional experience. So sama samadhi, and then samaditi samasangapo is about wisdom, where you, you have this wisdom, which uh, right understanding, the right attitude towards everything. So intellectually, in your thinking mind, then you're thinking in a way that is, that is appropriate, which is the way it is, rather than just the conditions of culture and, and uh, things that come out of ignorance and, and uh, not understanding Dhamma, we're now thinking. When we think and use thought, then it's then it's uh, it's in the way of Dhamma rather than the way of 
being Cambodian or Thai or English, being a man or a woman, being young or old, being strong and healthy or weak and sickly. When we come from our personalities, then these things affect us all the time. But when we're coming from Dhamma, then these conditions aren't aren't the determining influence on the mind. Because we're seeing things in, in the way they really are, rather than the way we're conditioned to perceive them. So from some uh, from from uh, niroda uh, realization of cessation and the end of suffering then we have the samaditi samatangapo samavaja samavayamo samagamanto samachivo samavayamo samasati samasamadi the eightfold path or the way of non-suffering So the Buddha taught only two things, really, when you get it down in a succinct form, two things. He said, suffering and the end is suffering. And I went to this conference in uh, Dharamsala last March with Ajahn Amaro and Sister Sundra with the Dalai Lama and uh, uh, Venerable Mahakosananda, Cambodian monk, was there. And all the we- and most of the people at the conference were were Western teachers from America, from Europe, and uh, most of them were lay teachers, not monks. I think Ajahn Amaro and and I were the only monks. Sister Sundra, but from outside of those three, they're all lay lay teachers teaching in Theravada tradition, Zen tradition, Tibetan tradition. And we have meetings uh, and discuss the problems of teaching Dhamma, teaching Buddhism in the West. And these people will always be thinking, they're thinking, oh, we have so many problems about this and so many problems about that and so many problems about the Tibetan tradition and problems in the Zen tradition and problems in the Vipassana tradition and problems, problems, issues, problems very complicated, all these people. So then they'd, they'd be discussing all these problems and issues and then they'd ask Venerable Mahagosananda, what do you think, Bhante? They say, what do you think about this? And uh, Venerable Mahagosananda would say, Buddha taught only two things, suffering and the end of suffering. <laughs> then he wouldn't say anything, he'd just sit there with a smile on his face and then the, everybody would go, thank you, Bhante. And then they'd go on into more suffering. It was about this problem and this issue and this. And so they weren't addressing the suffering and the end of suffering. They were, they were, they were caught up in uh, creating suffering. <clears throat> they didn't, they couldn't get it. But, uh, but this was this this meant a lot to me because uh, Venerable Mahagosananda was, uh, you know, he was saying he was pointing directly at 
because suffering is now not not about everything not being what it should be and about problems with Zen and about Tibetan problems with Tibetan Buddhism and should you get paid for teaching the Dhamma or should you do it for free or should you do this or should you do that or we aren't appreciated yet and we all the the, the way that you know the the things of the world became the, all the issues and the, the suffering that we create around all those issues. And the end of suffering is now, is not creating problems around things. doesn't mean avoiding or not acknowledging, but it means not that the, the way things are, but it means not creating a problem about the way it is. Not getting lost. in wanting life to be something that it can't be at this moment. So developing this Eightfold Path is the way of living by not creating suffering around the experiences of life, getting old, we done old age. Don't create suffering around the aging of your body. Sickness. We all have to suffer from sickness and pain. Don't create suffering around sickness and pain. Uh, death. We all have to experience the uh, death of loved ones. And we all have to see our parents get old and die. See, see our friends get old and die. We have, sometimes our, even our children will die before we do. Or we we have to experience the loss of loved ones. As a, uh, this is this kind of, but don't create suffering around it. We know it, we observe it, we feel it, but we we know not to create suffering around the the way life is, so that we have this this refuge in panya and wisdom, rather than refuge in things that that change and and will inevitably disappoint us or separate from us, that we'll inevitably lose. But this refuge will take you through to death, to your own death when the body dies. You know, then the death is like liberation because you're, you're letting go of what's not yours anyway, not attached to the body, its nature is to die. You don't create suffering around its dying because you know there's not your refuge is in the deathless, in the Dhamma, in the truth. I'll stop here and we can change our posture.